Welcome to Season 3 of the Next Peak Podcast, where we help you to redefine what success looks like for you and share strategies, tools, and stories that will help you climb your next peak. Today, Dr. John Deloney joins Clint to discuss how chasing achievements can lead to anxiety. Dr. John is an author and the host of the Dr. John Deloney radio show. He's also a consistent guest on Dave Ramsey's show and podcast. And in his book, Redefining Anxiety, he addresses the fact that there are some things that are going on in our mind and body that we need to pay attention to. Hey, so I know you've talked a little bit about this on your show and in the times that we've talked, but you were not a big social media guy before coming to Ramsey Solutions. <laughs> no. But since e- coming Even there, while I'm here, I'm not great at it, but... Well, but I love these posts. Like you, you have these posts about like your family turtles and <laughs> these funny family conversations that you guys have. Where does the inspiration come for all this uh, magnificence that you put out to the world? <laughs> well, the turtle posts... Uh, <laughs> My son and I caught a bunch of turtles and we had them in a big cage that we built outside together. And then we were walking in one afternoon and my I have a little four-year-old daughter at the time. And she just said, Daddy, why is that one turtle on top of the other turtle? And I just thought to myself, please don't be what I think is happening. And it was super. That's what it was. And Brother Clint, turtles are loud. They party. And just watching my daughter's eyes real big. One of the things I I have always hated about social media is that it's this curated view of the world. It's not real. And people say things to one another that they would never say in the real world. They have anger and hatred towards each other that doesn't exist in the real world. And also they post pictures of themselves and their lives and their family and their wives and all that aren't real either. And so going into it, I had to use it as a part of this new job. And I was like, I'm just going to, let me say it this way. I don't have enough savvy to have a plan is what I'm telling you. If it makes me laugh, I'll probably put it up. And if it's something that I go, oh man, then I'm going to put it up because I know there's a bunch of other dads. And turns out there's a whole bunch of people who have stumbled into the sex conversation with their kids in really unfortunate ways. It just happened to be turtles for me in my house, man. Not the way I drew it up. I had an awesome talk planned for whenever it was going to happen. We did not include reptiles, but it it happened. That's how it worked, man. (laughs) That's great, man. So you did touch on it a little bit with the the social media stuff that's out there. It is, you know, there's all kinds of studies out there that show that's anxiety provoking and, mm-hmm. you know, causes depression and all that type of stuff. So we're going to dive a little bit into into your story a little bit with the experience that you've had and, and has led you to write the book that you've written, Redefining mm-hmm. Anxiety. From what I've read and the times we've talked, you had reached kind of the pinnacle of, of your goals in, uh, at the time, right? You were at the top of higher education. You were the dean of students, having an impact in, in everyday lives for students. And then you started to kind of have some disruption. And, and I just kind of wanted to dive into that. Like, first of all, like, what was the goal originally? Was that the original plan was to reach higher education or the top of higher education? Or were you planning to do something before you got that? Road? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Once I got into the the trail with with higher ed, I loved it. It's awesome. It's a great job. You get to be behind closed doors with students and their families and professors and administrators. 
city council folk, you get to help people in an impactful way, often that goes unseen. So I love that work. It was good. And it's 365, 24 seven and lots of hospital visits and lots of death notifications or hard conversations with parents and lots of drug searches and lots of sexual assault conversations, just heavy on top of heavy on top of heavy. So you're doing that all day and I'm chasing this title. I got to get this next title and I've got to make this dollar amount by this age. And I have to have a house that looks like this. And so you're chasing these external metrics thinking that when I get there, I'm going to be cool. And then you'd go from assistant dean to associate dean. I just need to get to that associate dean. Why can't I get that? You work like crazy and you get there. And then I tell folks, man, the suckiest part about getting the next thing is that you go with you. And I would get there and be like, oh, man, my marriage is still not great. And I'm still an idiot and whatever. Right. So you just have to deal with those things as you show up. And what I ended up doing was burning the candle at both ends. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was in hospitals 365, 24 seven and always on call and always trying to be the hero and always never saying no to anything. And I was chasing these external things to try to make myself feel whole on the inside. And I just woke up one day (laughs) and my body was like, we're out, brother. We're out. So the way I just describe anxiety, all is an alarm, man. That's all it is. It's just letting you know, hey, you are not safe and you are disconnected from folks. And I mean, it started ringing louder and louder until finally your body will get your attention one way or the other. And before the alarm totally went off, had you started mm-hmm. to see some things in your life that you kind of went, eh, something's maybe a little off right now with yeah, everything, right? So yeah. me and my wife weren't on the same page on some things and the alarms get a little bit louder. And instead of trying to listen to what the alarms are telling me, I shut them off, right? So I go get sleeping medication and I go hit the gym even harder. And I take another job at another university teaching grad classes at night because it's right. So you start trying to just shut this alarm off through achievement and through running and through um, avoidance. And you don't ever deal with what all the alarms trying to tell you, man, you're not, things aren't okay. And so, yeah, that, if you, once you start reverse engineering those alarms, you can see a trail of bread comes all along the way. And, and that's what I love about what you write in the book is that anxiety isn't the thing that destroys you, right? It's, it's an alarm. It's your body's way, your mind's way of telling you to, Hey, something's off here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, and I really like the way you phrase it because a lot of people say, well, my life is getting ruined because of anxiety. And you kind of backtracked that and said, well, no, what are the things you're doing that's causing the alarm to go off? Right. Your life's being ruined because <laughs> you're ruining it by chasing stupid stuff or not dealing with your relationships and your own wellness, or because you're stuck in a system that's dumping crap all over you, or you were traumatized as a kid. There's multiple reasons why, but man, dude, the way we handle anxiety right now is like inviting a therapist and a pastor and a psychologist to our house that's on fire. And we all crawl up a ladder together and we try to duct tape pillows around the fire alarm in the kitchen just to shut it off. And there's nobody putting the fire out in the house. That's what we do with anxiety and depression these days. And it's just ridiculous, man. Yeah, absolutely. So in in your experience, what changed? I mean, you finally got to the point where you couldn't shut the alarm off. It was so Mm -hmm. loud. It was disrupting everything. Yeah. What steps did you take to kind of change the course of your path? And, you know, was it immediately like I needed a career change? I need to move out of the state. What what things kind of went through your mind at that point? The big moment was a recognition that 
everyone around me isn't crazy, it may be me. And one of the things our brains does when we get really angry or we get really scared is it instantly divides the world up real quick between us and them, right? And that's 10,000 years old. Who's in my tribe and who's not when we're about to get after it, right? And you can look at this in the country, right? Whatever political leader, they can do something really remarkable and everyone just goes bananas over it. And they can do something evil and everyone props it up like, yeah, that's what, right. We just, us and thems, our brains are doing what they're supposed to do to keep us safe. The same thing happens when you're just trying to navigate normal everyday life. And it was this moment of clarity when I realized, oh, maybe it's not them. Maybe I'm not okay. And I was fortunate in this one moment of vulnerability. I have a buddy who's a medical doctor in another city. And brother, by this time, dude, I was so frantic. I thought, Here's what's awesome. I thought people were listening to my phone conversations, reading my emails. Turns out Zuckerberg and all them were, but like at the time, it sounded, I thought it was nuts. And I got in a car and I drove to another city. I was over so many things at this college that no one would even know where I was for a week or two, as long as I answered my phone. And I just walked all the way back into his office and I said, man, I need some help. Something's not right. And that started a journey all the way back. And it took years, man. And now life's a joy. It's a mess, but it's a joy, right? And did that start to change your career trajectory and the things that you thought were important at that point? Yeah, reconnecting and having some hard conversations about who we wanted to be and what we wanted to be. And we sold our house and moved into a dorm for a year and paid off a hundred and, I don't know, six figures worth of debt in 18 months. We just buzzed through it. She was a professor too. She's way smarter than me. And then we took a $70,000 household income pay cut to move to a new city. And I worked at a new college for five years as I've rebuilt myself and figured stuff out and got a second PhD in counseling. And we really dug into what I wanted to do next. And by the way, during that time, my marriage was had great highs and I almost wrecked it a few times, right? So it wasn't like everything was perfect, but I, we were tethered into a common goal. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's an important message because it doesn't just fix overnight. Just because the oh, you man. figure out the alarm is going off, <laughs> you can't just go, okay, well, I'll just shut this off and everything will be great. No, it takes a while to put the fire out of your house and you got to see how bad the damage is. You got to rebuild. It takes some time, man. Yeah, for sure. And then how did your, how did Ramsey Solutions get on your radar then? If, so you go work at this university <laughs> yeah. and, or you just listen to Dave on the radio and went, eh, I think I want to join him someday. No, it's a story, dude, that it's annoying uh, and I get it. It's one of those, it's just annoying. But when I moved to, I took a job at a, my dream job at an incredible university here in Nashville. And when I, we moved, my marriage was in tatters. It was really in a rough spot. And we moved to Nashville. We cut ties with everyone we knew. I'd lived in Texas. We both had every uh, minute of our lives up until that moment. We moved here. Things are not good. And then we immediately had a death in the family. So we had to turn around and go back. So the way I describe that is like getting a divorce and realizing you left all your clothes there after court, right? So you get out of court and you go like, hey, I got to come back over and get all my stuff. It's like that. So we had to go back to Texas and go to a funeral. And then we came back. And then I got noticed at the university, hey, we need you tomorrow to give a talk on your vision for the university. And I was like, dude, I only worked here for like four days. I don't have a vision. And they're like, sorry, man. And there'll be about a thousand people there. And so I just happened to be in a position where I was <laughs> telling the truth and uh, spoke from my heart. And it just so happened that Dave Ramsey's executive VP was dropping off her daughter and she was in that crowd. And she said, I'm hiring that guy. And so I didn't know it. And then I was in a job interview for about a year that I didn't know I was in. And then we just 
Dave and I met multiple times and here we are. It's a weird, wild world, man. <laughs> and that's awesome. And now you're having an impact with uh, thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people on the airwaves and through your book and all that stuff. So, you know, you never it's knew a, the impact you'd start to have. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. a trip, man. That's for sure. Yeah. So with us high achievers, goal oriented type people, we tend to struggle with this anxiety piece. And I think you kind of touched on it in, in saying, you know, how we find ways to deafen the noise mm. or shut down the alarm. Why is it that we struggle with that so much? Man, how honest do you want me to be? Your listeners, can they hear it? Go for it. I think they can hear it. So my research over the last five, six years is working with high achieving people. We call them resistant influentials, folks like doctors and lawyers and presidents of colleges, pastors of big, massive churches, folks who for a living are driven, hardcore. They're who other people call, right? And what we found, what I found is they are highly lonely people, very lonely. Their goals are about what they can achieve and accomplish. And the goal of achieving and accomplishing is wholeness, making me feel okay. And you simply can't feel okay through accomplishment and achievement. You can only feel okay through relationship. And for high achieving people, I'm one too. I got two PhDs. I was the senior leader at a college. I mean, that, I, I get it. But it was a humbling moment to realize this trajectory just ends in everyone around me burning to the ground. And so I didn't know this. I haven't read this book. Is it Atomic Habits? The way I approach goals, I haven't read it yet, but somebody said, man, you sound like you ripped that dude off. And I never even heard it, but I quit asking myself the things I want to achieve. And I started asking myself, who am I going to be? And so this year, I'm a guy who stewards my body. That means I work out every day. I've got some goals I'd like to hit, but I don't beat myself up if I can't bench press X amount. I'm a guy that's taking care of my body for a 50 year. I want to be able to play with my grandkids. I'm a guy that stewards my relationship with my wife. And so instead of having a goal, like we're going to have sex this much this month and I'm going to do that. Instead of doing that, I'm a guy who stewards my relationship with my wife. And I'm a guy who is a good dad. And by characterizing it as a character trait, I then have to realize that I can only become this person with other people in my life. And these goals, man, they take care of themselves. A good, I'm rattling this off the top of my head, okay? But a, a thing in higher ed, it used to be that a master's degree was just like a cup of water on a marathon towards a doctorate, right? It was just a high five, you're one or two years in, keep going. And then we started selling it as a destination, higher ed did. Then a PhD was just a high five on the long-term trajectory of you're a scientist always looking for things. And then we started selling that as a destination. And so I've got so many friends and colleagues who went and got their graduate degree and they're like, now what, right? Same we did with a four-year degree, right? The same thing with our goals. If the goals become the objective, you're going to cross that finish line and look around and go, dude, now what? We do this all the time on Dave's show. People call in and say, hey, I did five years, paid off six figures. I'm debt free. But I'm still hollow inside. What happened? Right. And it's because you made your identity that goal instead of the who you were going to be in route. We lose sight of what's important to us because we start fixating on if I just get this, if I just yeah. make amount, this amount of money, if I just you know, have this size team or I get to travel all these places and then you figure out when you do those things by yourself, it's really lonely. It's just miserable. There's not, a, there's not an external plug to an internal hole, man. There's just not. You yeah. got to heal from the inside out. So when you talk to these folks, either on the radio or in person, 
they call in and say, hey, I achieved these things, you know, what advice do you give them to kind of help transition to more of a, I think you, you titled it like a character-based uh, assessment or kind of a projection of who you would like to be instead of what do I want to achieve? I've been with senior leaders in the past. I've been pretty directive. I've golf clap in people's face before when they start rattling off how much money they have and how many companies they've run or whatever. I've literally like, like, congratulations. How many marriages have you had too? Right. Do your kids like you? Can you go in at 10 o'clock and just go to sleep? Right. That those are those fruits that tell me if you have a good life or not. Right. It surprised people. It wasn't a surprise to me just because I know the science, but when I was meeting with Dave about coming to work here, of course, it's a cool place. He's got a massive platform. His whole goal is to help other people. But the questions I asked him was, who keeps you accountable? Who does Dave Ramsey, the number three listen to voice on radio in America, who does that guy listen to? Who calls him out? And not to my surprise, he had multiple groups of people who he let speak into his life that say, hey, you're wrong on this. And that told me that's a guy that's well and his success is going to be rooted, right? It's not just chasing money and chasing rabbits and chasing more clicks. It's somebody who's trying to, to grow deep, deep roots into the ground. And I'll get behind that. That's awesome. And since coming there, you haven't been able to just ride the uh, comfort trail either, right? <laughs> he, the, he threw me in the deep end of the pool, man. Yeah. 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 But growth comes in that uncomfortable spot too, right? That's right. Yeah. And here you are on a podcast that you just, you know. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, man. Dave and I have different beliefs and it shocks people, A, that he would hire somebody with different beliefs, but we have the same values. And so a good way I would explain that is like him and I both have the value of we love our families to the ends of the earth. Both of us love we're people of faith to the ends of the earth. We have different beliefs on what that even means. And we both have a deep value that we were put here to help people. And he believes sometimes I need to yell at that guy. And I believe sometimes I need to hug that guy. We have different beliefs, but our values are the same. And man, if we could all step back, that metaphor for me has just rang true throughout our country. If we can back up with and know, hey, our roots are, we're, man, we are tethered into this sucker, hardcore. We just believe different stuff. And here's the, the big dirty secret. I hope if I'm doing my life right, Clint, my life, I'll have, my beliefs will change a thousand times in my lifetime. That's why I read books. That's why I talk to people that have different lives than me. That's why I talk to different religious leaders because I'm trying to learn new stuff, man. And that changes your beliefs. If you just incorporate information to reiterate what you already think, man, what a lame life that is, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I hear a political thing and I go, what are you talking about? My first default setting is I got to call that. I want to hang out with that dude because I want to know more about that, right? And I, <laughs> I've had people at my house that would make Bernie Sanders be like, that's a little bit far, everybody, on this side. And I've had people sleep over at my house that would make Trump be like, hey, guys, we should probably wind that back a little bit, right? So everybody's welcome at my house. And that's the only way we're going to solve anything, right? And right. so it's, it's about being tethered in with your values. And then, man, life is a blast to go figure new things out, right? Yeah, absolutely. Have you had an experience on the radio show where you got into any kind of disagreement with somebody or just had a really uncomfortable conversation that was going south? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, you can go back and listen. Sometimes Davis says stuff, and I'm like, I totally disagree with that. I was so dumb at this new game of radio. I didn't know you don't disagree with somebody at that level, right? But to his credit, he loves it. He loves it because he's secure in it, right? He's it, His self-esteem isn't because everybody likes me. His self-esteem is rooted in these deep values. And man, if you have a challenge of opinion, bring it on. Let's get into it, man. And that's just the cultural and ethos here. But yeah, we've had some great disagreements. And then, of course, up in the office, man, when you're the smartest guy in the office like I am, it's hard. Everybody else, I'm just kidding, dude. I'm not that bright. So yeah, we. I love the disagreements part. That, that gives me joy because there's no ill spirit. I don't wish anybody ill will on the back end of it. Yeah. So now that you've transitioned into this side of your career and, you know, find finding balance with your family, finding balance, balance with your wife and your health, how do you maintain that? Because you're in, you went from, you know, three, 365 being on call mm -hmm. with, the, with the students and in the hospitals and all that stuff. And now you're kind of getting pulled in into radio shows onto this podcast, mm -hmm. onto Dave's show, speaking engagements, all that kind of stuff. How do you find balance in that so that you don't revert to the things that you used to do? The biggest shift is my identity is not in this at all. This wasn't on my radar. This wasn't a, a career goal for me. My identity is being a good dad and a good husband and a good community member here in Nashville. And the assignment that I've got right now that the Cosmos handed down was to be on the radio and to help people awesome. If I got fired tomorrow, I'd be sad. Of course, you know, this job pays well, that would suck. Right. But I would be sad. And then I, I was a high school teacher for a few years. I loved that job. And I worked in colleges. I loved that job. I was a Burger King manager for four years through high school and college. I didn't love that job, but it was a blast. We had a hoot. Right. And so for me, it's, it's the goals have to be a character based and man, we're just going to, I'm in a season of blessing. You know, I grew up in Lubbock where it's a farming community. And some years it just rains a lot, man. And you get a lot of cotton. And then some years it is dry. And so this is a season of rain. It's fun, man. And then even yesterday I posted something on Instagram and I thought, I'm going to get canceled on accident. I didn't even mean to, dude. And so who knows when this goes away, but I'm having a blast and trying to do the best we can to help folks now. That's awesome. I know you're a little bit short on time. So I'm going to hit you with two last questions. Bring uh, it, man. So top three books in John Deloney's library and why should everybody read them? Top three, dude. Or All five, right. you know, I'll, I'll let you go five if you or get seven. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. I recently finished a book that was super profound and good. It was called Lost Connections by Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. I recommend everybody stop what they're doing and go read that book. The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris is on Adverse Childhood Experiences, it's an extraordinary book that just maps out kind of where we are as a country with individual trauma that's beautiful. I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Real is the number one. That's the most important book I've read the last decade. It's a book about male depression, but it's so much bigger than that. I, I hate the subtitle only because men won't read it because it says, I'm not, I, don't, I don't got depression. Fine. Every guy should read the book. I don't want to talk about it. And then, man, some of my classics are... Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk and Catching the Rise is a masterpiece by uh, Salinger. And then you get into some more, <laughs> dude, I love young adult fiction, man. And so I love Harry Potter and Hunger Games and the Wing Feather Saga. I love those books too. I got an inner dork that struggles to get out sometimes. 
That's awesome. I'll have to put yeah. you in touch with my stepdaughter. You guys can compare notes on. I see uh, what you. Both. I see what you did there. Yeah. I see that. It was good. <laughs> awesome. So, and then the most important question is: we have a mutual friend who's a Navy SEAL, and uh, since you're on the show here, the podcast, are there any special notes that you want to leave our friend and, and a special message that you want to send to him? I love meeting people who are world-class in their craft, whether it, if I walk upstairs and talk to the digital video editors, these guys came from Pixar to work at Rams. I mean, they're just unbelievable. And I could sit and watch them for hours. We have a world championship pistol shooter here. Who's also a photographer. I like watching him. I love world-class mechanics. And then you get to meet with a Navy SEAL dude. And you're just like, everything about you is better than me. All of it. Right. And so dude, I, I love being around people who are achieving and living life better than me. Cause it, it brings me up. I have a close personal friend who's a monk who does everything quite, and I love him too, man. So I just love being, so our friend that's a Navy SEAL dude, he just brings me joy, man. Cause he's just awesome. He's a great human being. He's a great soul and he can do a lot of dope stuff. Yeah. He's like GI Joe with a super big brain. I know yeah. he's freaking good looking too. That's annoying also, man. Like what? He got all the good genes. Whatever. It's weird. It's frustrating. Handsome what? Navy SEALs. Talk about being feeling insecure, but whatever. It is what it is. <laughs> well, and that's part of what I love about doing this is I get to talk to incredible people who challenge me to grow and, mm. and to do better in life. You know, I get to talk to you. I get to talk to, I, I had some other incredible people on. I just had Amber Williams. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she's mm -hmm. a brand strategist and communicator, writes, you know, speeches for politicians and all that kind of stuff. And I had the opportunity to be with her. And I sometimes stumble over my words, which mm -hmm. is part of the reason why I do this podcast, because I'm like, hey, I'm pressing into this. And then I'm talking to her and it's totally intimidating because she's paying attention to every word that I choose. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh well, and yeah, and then to, someone's going to get this podcast and they're going to click over and see a world-class speech writer. And they're going to click over and see a guy putting uh, turtles having sex on his Instagram, right? So, I mean, it's we're all figuring out. I think it's good, though, man. I'll just say this. I've worked with SEALs, berets, college presidents, attorneys, doctors. Dude, everybody's wondering, am I loved? Am I good enough? If you really knew me, would you love me? Everybody struggles with that question, man. And when you have a group of people you can be fully known and they still love you, dude, we can solve any problem that stands before us. We just can. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you being on. Any uh, parting shots before we call it a day? I just want to tell you, I love you. And I'm grateful for you, man. And Thanks. I hope you and your family are well. And I hope that the listeners of this show and their families are well, too. This has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, brother. Stay in school. Don't do drugs, all that stuff. It's great <laughs> to talk to you. Thanks, John. All right. Bye.